If you have your Scriptures, please open them to Ephesians chapter 4. I'm going to start reading in verse 17. Now hear God's Word. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as Gentiles do in the futility of their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about Him and were taught in Him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds." To put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let every one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands, so that you may have to give something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. This is the Word of the Lord. I don't know if you heard about this sixth grade girl who had to write a paper on anger. And so she was struggling over this paper, and she went to her dad, and she said, Dad, I really need some help getting this paper on anger put together. And he said, sure, honey, I'll help you with the paper. He said, there are four levels uh, of anger, four levels of anger. Uh, Let me illustrate. He picks up the phone, and he dials a random number. person comes on, and he says, "Uh, hello. And the dad says, is Franco there? And the guy says, there's no Franco here. You've got the wrong number. And he hung up. So the dad says, honey, that's level one. That's irritation. Uh, So he dials the same number again. And the guy answers the phone. He says, hello, may I speak to Franco? I told you there's no Franco here. Don't call back. And hangs up the phone. And he says, honey, that's uh, level two. And he dials the same number again. And the guy snatches up the phone. He says, I told you not to call back here, you idiot. There's no Franco here. And if you call again, I'm coming through this phone line. And, you know, and so dad hangs up. He says, honey, that's, uh, that's level three. Uh, he says, now pay attention. This is level four. <laughs> this is blood-curdling, kill-you, wrath, anger. 
So he dials the phone. The phone, before it even finishes the first ring, it snatches up. Before the guy can say anything, the dad says, Hey, this is Franco. Have there been any messages for me? (laughs) (laughs) Anger. (laughs) Anger is explosive. It's like a hand grenade. And those of you that uh, are military people, uh, you have probably seen live the effects of a hand grenade or an IED. Uh, The horrific effects of an explosive when it goes off and sends shrapnel and pieces of metal in every direction, shredding and destroying everything that it touches. And there's two kinds of anger that psychologists and scientists and doctors have identified. There's aggressive anger, which is uh, uh, actual aggression, and and, uh, almost all of us are familiar with it. It starts often with Facial expressions, glaring, looking, the way that you handle your eyebrows, things like that. It can go from there. It's on a continuum, by the way. Anger is on a continuum. And it can go from there to uh, finger pointing and uh, louder expressions of, of uh, your vocal uh, your words. It can go to then to jabbing. All of you probably have had at some time or another somebody jabbing you in the chest and so, and then it can become shoving, and then it can go to hitting or striking the other person to actually getting a severe beating. These things are all on a continuum. Don't make any mistake about it, uh, folks, that anger, uh, the anger that is just angry words and bad facial expressions and all of that is simply on a continuum to a full-on beating. And if you go to a... Uh, a psychologist, or if you go to the police department and a police psychologist talk to you, they'll tell you that that's abuse just as much as a full-on beating. But we manage those others a little bit differently. Then there's passive-aggressive anger, and that can be uh, seen in body language. Uh, you know, somebody's, uh, they get stiff. Uh, the most, uh, probably the most famous nonverbal passive-aggressive Uh, action is the silent treatment. And every spouse in this world has uh, done this. Some of you do it to your kids. Some of you do it to your employers or other people. And that's where you just don't talk to them anymore. You're silent. You're stony. You're hard. uh, But it's still aggression. It's a passive form of aggression. Uh, You can give someone the silent treatment. Or when you ask somebody... Uh, who you know there's some anger there, you know there's a problem, and you say to your spouse, what's wrong? And she famously says, nothing. Or, uh, is everything okay? Everything is fine. Those are very aggressive words. You don't think they're aggressive, but they are very passive-aggressive. And you notice in these verses how many... Of these things, Paul has crafted under the inspiration of Holy Spirit to show that our aggression and our anger, like an explosive, is expressed often in our words. And so, uh, this morning what we're going to do, I didn't get to get into this uh, much last week, and I apologize, I'm going to finish it 
So help me, Lord. <laughs> I will finish it this morning. And then the next two weeks, next Sunday and the following, we're going to take a break from Ephesians, take a look at two scriptures that have to do with encountering Jesus, Palm Sunday and Easter, and then we'll come back and finish our series in Ephesians. Paul uses these verses in Ephesians as a mirror. He holds this mirror up to the readers or hearers of this letter and says you are to look into this mirror. You're to honestly look at yourself and see both positive and negative things that you are doing uh, that may be contrary to your nature. And you remember I told you that Paul's entire letter of Ephesians is predicated on the idea of a gospel, and we've talked about this at length, and I can't go into it, but very quickly, the gospel of the grammar, the grammar of the gospel, excuse me, is simply this. And Paul does it in the language of Ephesians, and he does it elsewhere, but most prominently in Ephesians, that the indicative, who you are, who you have been made, when you were born again, when you came to Jesus, when you repented of your sins, God did something in your life and changed you into a new person. Old things are off, new things are on. You are a new person in Jesus Christ. And for the rest of your life, folks, you are going to be engaged in a process of putting on and taking off. And so Paul goes to links, giving us the grammar of the Gospel in Ephesians 1-3, through wherein he gives almost exclusively, in fact, there's only one imperative in the entire first three chapters, and it doesn't even have to do with what you're supposed to do. It's all indicative who you are as believers in Jesus Christ. Then in chapter 4, he switches and he goes to the imperative, and he starts to say, now, because of who you are, do these things. Don't live like the old person, live like the new person who you are. And folks, if you get those two backwards, which I'm sad to say is the case in many Christian churches, even our own, even our own, I'm sad to say that if you get them backwards and the imperative, what you do determines who you are, make no mistake, you are no longer talking about Christianity. You're talking about something else. In Christianity, grace comes first, then you go do. But if you get it backwards and you try to, to do in order to become, you are simply a Pharisee. And you're lost. And so make no mistake, Paul is very clear about this and I won't belabor it any longer. But he gives us, I think what we're going to look at this morning are these three things. Here's your basic outline. He tells the reader, hold the mirror up, and when you see the negatives, reject the negatives. Number one, reject the negatives. Secondly, Embrace, embrace the positives. Reject the negatives. Embrace the positive things because over against these, each one of them has a positive and a negative. We'll look at them quickly. And finally, he tells you, once you've done that, look, look to Jesus. In fact, I'm going to suggest that throughout the process of negative, positive, as you're, as you're rejecting these things in your life and you're embracing the positive things, you're always to be looking in that mirror and the reflection, while it is going to reflect both positive and negative things back to you, you should be seeing in the background the formation of another image. 
You're seeing your image, but you should start to see the mirror clouding over in another image starting. And whatever that image, uh, whatever he looks like to you, Jesus Christ is going to appear before your eyes. Why? Because Paul goes to lengths. He contrasts. Look, contrasts two things. He contrasts grieving the Holy Spirit to being sealed by the Holy Spirit. Now, I trust most of you here today are Christians. Maybe there's some, maybe someone accidentally slipped in who's a member of the Democratic Party and is not a Christian. As if God doesn't have all kinds of people in different... Anyway, never mind. I won't get on my political soapbox. Look, God loves people and He brings Republicans, Democrats, Libertarians, Communists, all kinds of nutty people. How do you know that, folks? How do you know that He brings all those nutty people to Himself? How do you know? There it is. Because He brought us, right, Rick? Rick knows. And so do you. He brings crazy, nutty people who are all goofed up because we are them. And so we need to understand that when, when He is contrasting these things, telling you're a new person, you can be this new person, and, and because you're this new person, now you go and do uh, these things. We're not talking about merely behavior modification. That's nothing more than moralistic, theistic deism. And if you are a moralistic, theistic deist, uh, you, you don't have salvation necessarily. Salvation requires Jesus Christ to step into your place and do for you what you could not have done for yourself in order that you are now free to do the things that He asked of us. And so here, let's get going. Reject the negatives, embrace the positives, look to Jesus. Look at the first one. We talked about this last week. I won't spend too much time. I want to spend some time on anger. Uh, Lying. He says, don't lie. Put away falsehood. Why? Why should you speak the truth to your neighbor? Why should you put away falsehood and speak the truth to your neighbor? Because you're members one another. You know, what do they call a person who has a split personality and one like Gollum in Lord of the Rings? Gollum talks to himself in Lord of the Rings. He's a split personality. There's a part of this creature who wants to be good. And there's a part of this creature who cannot be good. And those of you, I love Tolkien, and I've read his autobiography, and Tolkien, the only thing that brought Tolkien to tears in that entire trilogy of the Lord of the Rings, the only thing that brought him to tears was when he read the passage where Gollum could not change and fell from that one moment when he was trying to love and be faithful to Frodo when he finally switched and he went. And you know in the movie they make him look, his facial expression brilliant. But in the book, he, he, it, it describes him as taking on a green pallor. He changed colors. And he could no longer give his love and devotion. He became utterly treacherous. And when J.R.R. Tolkien read that, he would weep. And let me tell you, without the work of Holy Spirit in your life, without the change, the transformation, you are hopeless and helpless. And so we're not talking about merely behavior modification. We're talking about transformation where you are honest. You're not, not thinking about it. You are actually thinking about why do I, why do I lie? Why? 
I need to embrace the truth. Why? Because I'm not a split personality. I'm a unit. I have integrity. I'm one. And I need to treat others because they and I are the same. We are one body. In America, there's an individualistic, radically individualistic gospel. It's me and Jesus and my Bible, and I don't need anybody else. And that's why you see so much goofy stuff going on in the church today, folks. But if you will give yourself to the church, a good healthy church, and there are good churches in El Paso, and ours is the best of all of those churches. <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Please don't applaud. I'm just joking. There are great churches in El Paso, and there are good churches everywhere. And if you will humble yourself and become accountable to that church, join the church, be a member. Let the church provide the guardrails for your life and protect you and help you like a shepherd does his sheep. That's my shameless plug for church membership. Okay, let's move on. Outright lies, we understand. But there's also pretense, there's hypocrisy, there's wearing of the masks. Put that stuff away. Why? We don't need to fool ourselves. We have one face. We know who we are. If we're honest, if you're not honest and you're lying to yourself, you know, they have medication for that. They have talk therapy for that. They have all kinds of remedies for that. You may just need to face the reality that you don't know how to tell the truth to yourself. Self-delusion. Don't let that get a hold of you. He says, recognize you are members one of another. You don't need to lie to get people's approval. You don't need to lie to self-protect. What can man do to you anyway if they really knew you? You can be transparent. Not with everybody, but many people. Do you need to improve your self-image? Do you have such self-hatred and self-loathing that you must lie and present a false image in order to get people to like you? Because I want to, I'm just going to let you know, folks, if you do that and they actually like you, they really don't like you. They like that other person that you've created that's a lie. You see? They don't like you. They like this other person. What about control? A lot of times we lie, we obfuscate, we say things so that we can control situations. And if you're a control person, I am, I give mea culpa, mea culpa, I'm guilty of that. I don't think you can be a pastor without being a nut. And so consequently, you find a lot of people that we have problems, pastors do. And one of them is control. And I, you know, and I had control problems before I'd be a pa- making pastor didn't make me controlling. I had that problem. I had to bring that to, you know, bless all you with my crazy stuff. But if you know you're that kind of person, be honest. Paul says, look in the mirror, take a look, confess who you are, repent, own it. And then do the other thing. In the power of the Holy Spirit, with the strength of God, do the other thing. Look at anger and restraint. John Calvin says it. John Calvin was pretty sharp. Listen to what he says. There are three faults by which we offend God in being angry. Listen to these. They're brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Three faults by which we offend God in being angry. First, when anger arises, this is the first one, from slight causes or no cause or at least private injuries. You know, Christians can be the biggest crybabies in the world. 
Oh, gee, I didn't say good morning to me. Oh, he didn't do them. Well, cry, baby, cry, whine and whine and whine. Do you know that that makes God angry? Not at you. He doesn't hate you or get angry, but he's angry at that behavior. That we would be so petty that a slight injury, a little coarse, you know, somebody says something to you, they don't give you the kind of face you think you deserve. A private injury. And we will get mad and it will fester and boil over forever. Yes? And, and Calvin is saying, don't let, that, that is crazy. Three things by which we offend God in being angry. Slight causes, no cause, private injuries. As a Christian, we should have a very thick skin. Why should we have a thick skin? Because grace will cause you to want to have a thick skin. Grace will want you to have that. Because think about what God has to do, how far He has to travel in order to find us. And we won't even cross, we won't even take two steps towards somebody else that offends us. Shame on us. Yes? Right? Amen? Okay, good. All right. <laughs> All right, first, private, no cause, private injuries, slight causes. Easily, you could take all of those things and you could ground them like a lightning rod very easily. It wouldn't take you anything just to say, ah, oh, it's okay. Right? And instead, we get mad. Alright, second one, Calvin says, is we go beyond the proper bounds. We have intemperate excess. In other words, we, are, we have so much anger built up that something does happen. You know, a child spills a glass of milk and the parent just loses their mind. How many times have I told you not to spill your milk? Or, you know, the, the, the room isn't clean. You've told your kid five times. I know I had to tell my kids 500 times, clean your room. Now, after 500 times, you can explode. But after three or four times, you know, in other words, the punishment doesn't match the crime. It's over. It's excess. And Calvin says we offend God when we excess. We go beyond the bounds. Finally, when our anger... Listen to this one, folks. This guy understood people's hearts. When our anger should be directed at ourselves or against sin and instead... We turn them against our brothers. Now, look. Let me be very blunt with you right now. God had a cause to send every single person in this world to hell, including me and you. Our sins offended Him to the ground. And nothing you've ever done in your life has ever made up for that sin. You can't merit forgiveness. So let me ask you, Christian, if you're a Christian, where and what happened to that sin that we so easily beat our children down into the dust for, or our spouse, or our employer, or our fellow Christians in church, we crush them into the ground because they've offended us. We've offended God, and I'm asking you, what did He do with your sin? What did He do with it? Ollie, ollie, oxen free? 
What? He took it on Himself. He watched His Son bear in His body the wrath, the very wrath that we deserve. So I'm, I'm telling you, I'm pleading with you that if there's ever a day in your life that you say, no more, I'm not going to beat people, I'm not going to crush my children, I'm not going to crush my spouse, I'm not going to crush people around me anymore because I should have been crushed and I wasn't. Which is what he gets at at the end of this in, in the final verse. He says, forgive, be tender-hearted, loving, forgive one another even as Christ forgave you. Do you see it, folks? He's not asking you just to let the offense go and you pay for the offense. He's asking you to let any and every offense go because He paid for the offense. That is the Christian Gospel and that's all the difference in the world. If someone offends you and you have to, out of the largesse of your heart, forgive them, then granted, I would be the first to agree that it's almost nearly impossible. Especially if they've done something bad to you. But folks, if you will stop trying to pay for that sin yourself, out of the largesse of your good and wonderful and spacious heart, and run to Jesus Christ, run to the cross, turn to that immeasurable, infinite well of the blood of His, of His forgiveness. If you go there, where's the bottom to that one, folks? Where's the bottom? Where? There is no bottom. It's infinite. You can draw on that forever and ever. And that will take you to a whole other level of forgiveness to where you actually can forgive people who have wronged you and offended you and redeem their life. Not you personally. You don't die for their sin. But you can act in such a way that you actually reclaim them. Yes? Are you willing to do that? Will you take the risk? Will you pay the price? It's a heavy price to pay. But you didn't pay it. He paid it. And we're simply called to make the transfer. Take from here, hand it to here. There's no effort in that. But we want it to always and at all times be all about us. And so we short circuit. We say, well, yeah, the cross is fine, fine, fine. For the really big bad stuff. But this, oh, and then we want to just crush the other person. Please, I'm begging you. Okay? Very serious. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down. Don't give the devil opportunity, Paul is saying. Don't provide space for him to operate in your life. Don't do it. Reject these things. Anger is probably the best and most excellent mirror into our soul. Because if you really are honest about what makes you mad, if you keep digging and you get down, you, you brush off some of the dirt and you look at it for what it really is, there you will find your ultimate and deepest idol. You'll find what really matters to you. Is it your pride? Is it your self-esteem? Is it th There can be any number of things, folks. Your expectations, how you manage those expectations. Well, you know, my husband should be this and this and this and he's not, therefore I'm mad. Well, you know, before you can say he's this, this, and that, you've got to go over here to this side and say, are you this, this, and this? And if your answer is, oh yes, I'm doing all these things, then you have a whole other set of problems. <laughs> oh, 
Don't give me that. I mean, look, I know we can poke holes in our, we can pop our balloons all day long. Yes, if we're honest. Problem is, we're not honest. And that's the first thing he says quit lying. Quit lying to each other and quit lying to yourselves. So, there's anger and then there's restraint. Be angry? Yes, there's place for anger. But don't sin. Measure your anger. Look at your anger. Think about your anger. Don't just blow. Tim Keller famously says, God is saying, not no anger. No anger is a sin, right? If you're never mad about anything, what does that say about you? You don't care about anything, right? So it's not no anger. No anger is a sin and not blow anger. Not the hand grenade. Not the IED. Not the explosive anger. Not no anger. Not low anger. What kind of anger? Slow. In other words, you take your time thinking about it and then when you finally do express anger and you tell your child, come here, sit down, you lied to me, you did this, I, you, know, you are measured, there's restraint, and you're dealing out justice in a reasonable and rational way. Same thing. Folks, I, I'm ashamed to say it, if I could just have known this when I first got married, Marty V and I, we would, we would have had a different, whole different kind of marriage. Be careful what you say. Don't give opportunity. Not no anger, not blow anger, but slow anger. Take your time. Think about it. And then when you do, measure out the anger in an appropriate way. Okay? Stealing and generosity. He says there's stealing. That's the negative prohibition. Generosity is the positive. I'm combining them for time's sake. Stealing can include jealousy, envy, uh, uh, avarice, greed, stinginess. It can be any of those things. It can be just be your heart. It can be your heart. So you've got to guard against that. And he said, what's the, what's the remedy for that? The remedy for that is seeing that generosity does not come just because you're good and generous. It comes from this. He who was rich became poor for your sake that we might be rich in Him. You see, folks, if money has your heart, it's because you don't see the value of that beauty made ugly on the cross. Once that beauty made ugly on the cross, money will simply be something that you can use to do good to people. Maybe your family, maybe yourself, but it's a tool, not a God. Right? Do you see the difference? And, and money can get your heart like nothing. There's things, money can become all important, and you know that. Cursing. Pardon me. Cursing and blessing. Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouth. That just That criticism. We criticize and criticize and carp and carp. And we criticize often the people closest to us, our children. We just relentlessly hammer away and shred them. We skin them alive with our words. And parent, if you're doing that to your child, I'm telling you today, stop it. Did you ever see Bob Newhart's thing? His counseling thing on the internet? It's hilarious. Go look it up. YouTube. Bob Newhart. Stop it. Cut it out. Quit shredding your spouse or other people just with words, tearing them down. Instead, he says, build 
them up. Use your words to build them up. Do you know how encouraging it is to tell somebody honestly? Flattery is not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about genuinely telling your spouse, you know I haven't told you in a while, but I appreciate what you do for this family and I love you. Or telling your, your, your kids, you know what, you are a great kid. You're a good kid. I'm so glad you're part of this family. I'm so glad to have you in my life. Or telling your employer, thank you for this job. You know what? I'd like a raise, but nevertheless, I'm glad I'm employed. You know, what is wrong with us, folks? Okay, I know I'm scolding you a little bit. Please forgive me. Being contrary over against humility. uh, He says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Toxicity and tenderness. that's the sixth one here. It says, put away all bitterness. What do you, Paul is kind of summing up here, and I'm going to sum up as well. Put away all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, malice. In other words, look at your life and say, am I a close, do I have plenty of room in my life so that people can get close to me and know me? Or am I like hugging a, a porcupine? You know, what am I? What kind of person am I? Doesn't mean you have to be jolly and all. You know, all of us have different temperaments. Some people are very warm and hospitable, and others. But if you're the kind of person that folks just just because you've stuck them so many times, they don't want to be around you. Think you know what? Maybe I should consider uh, what Jesus did for me. You know, I have done some things, folks. I'm ashamed to say, in my long life, I was not always the uh, the upstanding and wonderful and perfect Christian that you see before you. But let me tell you this, the robe cannot cover what's really there. And Jesus Christ, never one time in all my life have I gone to Him and embraced Him and felt anything but pillow soft warmth. Never have I gone to Him in my brokenness, in my sorrow, that I have not felt pillow-soft warmth in His embrace. And I want to be like that. Why? Because I've been treated like that. By the One who went to the cross for me, as me, took my place, not so that I would never have to do any of these things, but so that I could have the privilege of doing them for Him, to His glory, for His honor, and in gratitude. Not to merit anything. I can't merit anything. Not to impress Him. Listen, you cannot possibly impress God. He saw the best. And He was impressed with the best. His Son And now all He's asking from you and I is to simply trust His Son. And then all of these things come to us because of Him. Do you believe that? Will you believe it? I pray you will. Let's pray. Father, thank You for uh, what Jesus Christ did for us. He suffered these horrible, uh, the anger, the wrath, the lies that we're told about. Every one of these things on the list, the were done to Him who didn't deserve any of them. They were done to Him so that we could be free from being controlled by them. 
that we could actually live as people that have been changed and transformed. And Father, I pray this day most earnestly that You would work a work of transformation and power in the lives of Your people here today. Father, please, help us turn to You in all all our doings to trust You and believe in faith. By faith, the Lord Jesus Christ died for us. We pray these things in His beautiful name. Amen.